Now, you and I are going to die because, you see, the Bible teaches that you and I have a body. But you, the real you, your intelligence, your memory, your personality is going to live forever and ever. You will never die. And you're going to spend a million years, a billion years, in one of two places. Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be with you today. At about midnight last night, I got hit with some food poisoning. Yeah, and I did it to myself. I shouldn't have gone to sushi hour at Golden Corral. But it was violent. It was violent. I have not slept. If I say something weird, please be gracious with me. Gracious with me, okay? Thank you. Thank you. So, guys, this morning we're going to wrap up our series on heaven and hell. We've been here for a few months, and I thought maybe the best way for us to do that is to look at Jesus' words as he talks about the mindset, the heart, the disposition. If you could paint the picture of what heaven is going to be filled with, you know, the kinds of people, Jesus does that. He does that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of the idea that one would live today in light of eternity. Jesus is coming back. We know that. I mean, the bulk of ancient history tells us that there was a Jesus of Nazareth. And he did what he said he was going to do. We put it this way before. Why is Christianity a thing? It's like it shouldn't be here. Something happened that caused this fledgling movement to just burst into flame. The earliest followers of Jesus were doubters. You got to love the sobering reality of the scriptures and the way that they're written. It tells you very plainly, the earliest followers of Jesus doubted his resurrection. What happened? It was his resurrection appearances, and then everybody's like, okay, game on. He did what he said he was going to do. And Christianity moved from being this fledgling movement to a couple hundred years later, it would become the religion of the Roman Empire. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. He's come once. He is coming again. What is the nature of heaven? What will it be like in terms of the people that populate it? Well, it's popular to think today that if your good outweighs your bad, God will throw open the gates of heaven for you. But man, that's a tough one because you and I, we don't even live up to our own standards. <laughs> even like the moralist, the person who rejects God. See, every time you say, well, if it was me, I would, or you should, what you're doing is you're imposing a standard on other people that you can't even live up to. I'll just prove it to you. Do you think it's wrong to deceive people? And we all do it. We can't even live up to our own standard. So if heaven is populated with the kinds of people that just do whatever they want, heaven no longer becomes heaven. It becomes a literal hell. So Jesus comes on the scene and he gives the greatest sermon ever preached on the side of a, of a hill, the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, Matthew chapter six, he gives you a glimpse into the heart of what kingdom-minded people, heavenly kingdom-minded people look like. Matthew chapter six, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the words of an old pastor, you never see a U-Haul following a what? You never see a U-Haul following a hearse. Why is that? Well, Jesus tells you why. Because earthly things are temporary. They do not last forever. You are temporary. You know, we've had this discussion before. What's the name of your great, great, great grandfather? You don't even know who he is. <laughs> Somebody's gonna think about you like that. Even as inf influential as you think you might be. I've joked about it before. Someday I'm gonna be like a velvet oil painting in the hallway. They'll be like, who's that guy? Be like, I don't know. Some old guy that was around a long time ago. And we're all just kind of lost, forgotten in time. I've had things taken from me. So have you. It's even material objects. I've had my wallet stolen. I've had things stolen out of my house. And Jesus says, it's actually possible for you, watch this now. It's actually possible for you to take things and place those things in the hands of Jesus and then he takes them and he puts them somewhere where they will come back to you and they can't be stolen, they can't be taken away. So now, the thrust of this message is this. What are you placing in the hands of Jesus to store up? in that other kingdom, two kingdoms, earthly kingdom, defined by lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. And then there is that heavenly kingdom. What are you placing in the hands of Jesus to be stored up? Now, when Jesus says, your treasure is there, your heart will be also, he's, he's assuming that our hearts will find affection on things, earthly things. And that's not necessarily wrong. What he's saying is this though, be very careful what you hold as the object of your highest affection, your greatest treasure. So Jesus gets super radical. He comes on the scene and he drops these truths and, and these sayings and it's like they're really difficult things to hear. I'll give you one. He says, unless you hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, you cannot be my disciple. And people are like, wait, what? Like earthly relationships are good things, right? Yeah, yeah, he's not saying they're, they're bad things and we should treasure them up to a point. But what Jesus is saying is really, really good here because the trajectory of your life is determined by what you hold as to be ultimate worth, the thing you worship the most. The word worship means to ascribe worth to something. So if your spouse is the thing of ultimate worth in your life, you're in trouble. If your kid is the thing of ultimate worth in your life, you're gonna become unwound. It's not that we don't treasure these things, we do. 
but it's the object of your highest affection will actually determine the course of your life. And so when Jesus uses the word hate, he's speaking in hyperbole. In other words, what he's saying is, your love for me ought to be such that in comparison, love for others seems like hatred. And you're like, wow, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty wide measuring yard to gauge what's important to us. But it does make sense because perhaps you've lived life long enough to know that humans and things are so temporary and can be taken away so quickly. And it's like Jesus says, if you build your house on sand, it's gonna, eventually it's gonna, life has a way of taking things away from you. It just does. And then what do you do? It's like the story of David. He gets all of these things in his life, and then one by one, God removes every crutch until he has nothing but God left. And he understands who God is in that moment more than at any other point in his life. How do we do this, practically speaking? Well, Jesus is having a conversation with disciples, and he says this in Matthew chapter 10, and whoever gives one of these little ones, some people think he's referring to children or perhaps some of his disciples, Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So this is really interesting. A cup of water was like less than a penny back in the day. It was something very easy to do for somebody else. And yet Jesus says, if you do the smallest act of kindness to someone in need, God sees and God rewards. So let's put this in like a Sunday morning context. So maybe you are serving donuts. Maybe you're helping people find their seats. Maybe, uh, maybe you're just serving someone a, a cool drink outside. Maybe it's just a friendly handshake or a smile as somebody comes through. Jesus is actually speaking to you. And he says, I see it. I see it, and don't think that I won't reward you for the smallest gestures. And so what's happening is, we're taking things, even small things, and putting them in the hands of Jesus to be stored up. So again, we're asking the question, what are we doing? What things, if anything, right, if anything, are we placing in the hands of Jesus for him to store up later? So in Jesus' day, there was a whole group of religious people that got this absolutely wrong. And he tells us about them, again, in Matthew chapter six. He says, but beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. It's kind of crazy. They actually did this. They would actually sound a, a, a trumpet and people would be like, what's that? Oh, that's the religious people. Oh, they're getting ready to serve people and everybody's like... Wow, those religious people, they're, they're really doing their thing. Definitely they're more spiritual than we are. And Jesus calls them out. And he actually uses the word hypocrites. He's like, they do it for the applause of others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. So when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What does that mean? So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret, there it is again, he will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. When I was a young Christian, new in my faith, 
I was really insecure about my spiritual life. I mean, to the point where it's like, if I prayed in front of other people, it's like I'd have to drop into King James language. You know what I'm saying? In order to sound more spiritual because like King James was close to God. And it was super inauthentic. And that's, that's these people, they stand on the corner so that they can be heard by others when they pray. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. That's the reward that comes from those around them thinking they're so spiritual. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. So there's some temptations here, right? There's some temptations when you start opening up your life and serving other people. And one of those temptations is you make it about you. That's a tough one. Hey, and this is especially true if you have a form of service or a gift that is more visible, right? Maybe you have a beautiful voice and you sing or you play an instrument or you have the ability to communicate. And then what happens is you begin to think, look at my influence. Bro, I am God's gift. You should be so thankful you have me. And then you get hit with a violent uncooked <laughs> right and you realize very quickly in the bible god uses an animal to speak to someone yeah Paul says that God chooses the base things of the world to confound the wise. But the more gifted you are, the more you can become your own worst enemy. So there's a real danger even when we step into this space. It's a real gut check. So Paul says this, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. Some plant, some water, some till the soil. He goes on to say, here's what you need to know. Stay humble because God is the one that actually causes the growth. You can plant that seed in the ground, but do you even fully understand how that works? That seed actually has to die. It dies as a seed and then it starts coming up. Who put all that together? God did that. Say, you stick it in the ground, dig a hole, stick it in the ground, you water it, you do the work, you be faithful in that. And then God does this miracle of growth. Hebrews chapter six, for God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. You know what's interesting as you read through the Bible, how many times it talks about serving people outside these walls, but you know what? It speaks even more about serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you know that? And that's hard. Sometimes it's a lot easier to go beyond these walls and to hand a homeless person a sandwich and you know, and, and, and there's something to that. You, you bless somebody. They don't do anything. They can't do anything for you in return. But then it's like, when you get in cl close proximity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, something funny happens. It's like everybody wants to serve everybody until all of a sudden someone treats you like a servant. And you're like, wait a minute. I don't know if that feels so good. Wait a minute. I, 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 I'm here to serve. Well, I need you to do this, 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 and this. Well, I don't want to do those things. So it can be a little bit more complicated even under our own roof. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your worth and the work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. The Bible says, 
be good to all people, but especially those in the household of faith. So I need to take this opportunity and have a candid conversation with the church family. If you are here for the first time, let this conversation go by. Here's the situation that we're in, all right? Our volunteerism has not kept up with our growth. And this isn't an, an uncommon thing as churches grow. If there's some measure of rapid growth, you just have more people coming and there's more people to serve, but your serving base doesn't quite catch up to it so quickly. It's what we call a lagging indicator, serving and giving. So we've got some lagging indicators. At the same time, I wanna say, we have so many people involved in serving at this church. Do you know how many people it takes to pull off a Sunday morning, just volunteers, volunteers? Over 150, over 150 volunteers every single Sunday. And so by God's grace, we plant, we water, and God is causing the growth. And you know what Jesus said? He said, I knew it, I knew it. Pray. When Jesus prays, he doesn't say, oh, there's only more work to do. He's like, no, there's plenty of work to do. It's those doggone laborers. We need more of them. We need more of them. So I wanna gently nudge you as one of your pastors. If you've been coming for a while, I would say, you know what? Now might be the time for you to prayerfully consider, man, if this ministry and these ministries have been blessing me and I got my kids involved or whatever it is, be a blessing to what has been a blessing to you. That's why God blesses you. And then what's cool is as you enter into that space, man, God begins to work in your life and your heart and you experience a joy that you didn't know existed before. And so to that point, people that can explain it better than I can under our own roof even, I want you to check out this video real quick. <clears throat> My name is Ashley and I have been serving in hospitality for a couple years now. My name is Troy Perkins. This is my wife, Emily Perkins. We've been serving at Illuminate since the beginning of the year, and uh, we've been attending church uh, since about mid-2022, a little over a year. I think that I have a desire to serve because of what God has done in my life and how He has taken the ruins of my life and transformed them into something beautiful. And when you experience that love that God has for you and you know how much you're loved, like you can't help but want to serve. I love attending this church and I, I felt called to do something just out of gratitude for everything that they do for us here. So I'm like, how, okay, what can I do? So being on a team um, not only allows us to serve together and we get to bless the, the community and our church family, but it's a blessing to us. But I think it's a great thing for the family to see us serve and um, if you're someone who wants structure and you want uh, you can serve as little as once every two months or you can serve every week what i've gotten a lot out of is meeting the other volunteers and so i've there's a couple volunteers that i look forward to seeing every time i'm here and i just watch their servant's heart and taking care of the children and it's made me want to model that they really do have a heart for serving kids. <laughs> it's So if anyone has any hesitancy in um, stepping into serving, um, first, I think it's best to pray and just ask God, okay, God, where, where do you want me? Where can I be used? Like, and ask him for guidance. And then just jump in and, and do it. There's, the nice thing is there's so many opportunities here. As far as having 
it changed my walk with Christ. You know, knowing you're gonna be there with children the next morning. Um, there's a packet emailed out on Friday with a great way to study the word and what's gonna be taught different from what Pastor Jason is speaking about. So that's a great way too, to immerse yourself in the Bible. Like we came here and it feels like we've been waiting for you. Everything, and then there's so many ways to plug in. So not only have we been waiting for you, we have a place for you. We have a purpose for you. We are not already full. We do not have all the positions already taken. We have a place for you to serve. And it, you just say yes, and you're up and running, and you're in. And so that's why someone should serve. They will plug you in immediately. And as soon as you experience the community, you wanna stay. My hope and dream for our church and this family is that every single person that steps foot on this campus feels welcomed, feels seen, and loved. So, yeah, showing some love. And that's just a microcosm of so many of you who, who do the serving week in and, and week out. But the Apostle Paul makes it really clear. He describes the church as a family and as a body. And we all have different roles to play. And so what is your part in that? Because we are healthy only to the degree that our people are plugged in and serving one another, using their spiritual gifts to build the body up for the purposes of edification. In other words, we need you. We need you. And it goes back to what I said earlier. Really what we're talking about is taking the things that God gives you, whether it's your time, your your finances, whatever it is, all that God pours into you. And as you serve, you're taking those things and actually placing them in the hands of God to be stored up. And so that's the beautiful thing about serving your brothers and sisters. How many times did we read, God knows, God rewards, and God sees. So the reality is it's so easy to get distracted. And Jesus tells a parable about this with a man, a young man who's, who's got seemingly everything. And that's the problem. Matthew chapter 19, and behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what deed must I do to, to have eternal life? And you know, it's really the wrong question because it's not the deeds that get you into heaven. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. But Jesus is like, well, okay, let's go ahead and tease this out and, and you'll discover that for yourself, okay? So he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? Well, there is, there is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So then the guy says, well, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness on your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the young guy's really stoked. He's like, all these I have kept. I'm doing great. Anything that I lack, and then Jesus says to him, it's like, if you just imagine Jesus pulling back a bow with an arrow, and he's just about... Anything else? Anything else? And Jesus is like, if you're ready for it. And what is, what's Jesus doing? He's going to let that arrow fly right in the heart of the dude's treasure. What it really is. You want to be perfect? Go and sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's wrong to absorb your wealth on yourself. In James, 
he warns those who are wicked rich because wicked rich, wicked rich are those who have made their wealth by taking advantage of others. That's wicked rich. Uh, wicked rich are those who hoard their possessions. And James says, be very careful. It's kind of crazy languaging because he says, in the last days, all, all the things that you have hoarded is kind of horrifying. They come to life. They're personified. And they stand against you as witnesses that you have absorbed your wealth on yourself and you haven't been generous to those around you. See, you can't stand there and say, no, 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 not me, because all of these material possessions just rise up and they are the proof. It's what we do with what God has entrusted. So that's why Christians, we don't possess anything. We steward everything. And what does a steward do? The steward receives, Matthew 25, we just read it, right? Last week, a steward receives and then takes and then gives back to the one in charge. So recently, some good friends of mine moved out of state, very close friends. And before they left, I handed them a key to my house. And I said, man, if you need it for anything, if you're just traveling through, you can't get a hold of me for some reason, if you're doing like an overnight business thing here in the valley, it doesn't matter. Here's the key to the front door. Anything that's in my house, brother, it's yours, you know? It's, it's totally yours. And I would be hurt if my friends didn't use my stuff. Now, before you start thinking I'm an okay guy, realize that Jesus takes it way beyond this. And he says, give to those who are poor and in need. Why them? Well, there is a need, but secondly, it's pretty altruistic because what are they gonna do for you in return? That's why, that's why James says, pure and undefiled religion is to give to orphans and widows. What are they gonna do for you? They have nothing. It's not like they're gonna look at you and go, I'll return the favor someday. They have nothing. Pure and undefiled religion is to give to those that can't give anything in return to you. Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because riches can be a distraction. That's the issue. So many things in life can be a distraction. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But when you understand the gospel of God, all things are possible. Because you understand that, listen, God did not withhold his best from you. Why would you withhold your best from him? That's the heart of the gospel. See, this is the, the not right? That's so why I began by saying, what Jesus is doing is he's painting this picture of what kingdom of heaven people do, how they think. The apostle Paul was a really good pastor and he's not shy about presenting the congregations, uh, presenting opportunities to the congregation to, to do this, to store up treasures in heaven. And he says this in Philippians chapter four. This is a tough read. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you. Paul's like, I go out, I'm sharing the message of the gospel, I'm getting beat down, and there's only one church that entered into this gospel space and supported the work. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now, this is really cool. Listen to what he says here. This is, this, is the very, this is the pastoral part. Then he says, not that I seek the gift itself. Paul was a tent maker. If he needed to, he could supply his own need. But then he says this, 
He says, my gospel ministry gave you the opportunity to do something. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. You see what he's saying? It goes back to what I said earlier. It's like, when you do these things, you're storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. Now, this is different. Now, please, let's understand this, right? Because this isn't prosperity doctrine, because prosperity doctrine, right, is you give to get, you give to receive, right? It's like, you give all that you can so you can, in return, enjoy all these earthly possessions. It's actually the exact opposite. Use these earthly possessions. Be a blessing with others, to others. Give them, give them away. Be open-handed with them. Be a steward. And then, when the day comes, heaven will reveal all of those things that you have placed in God's hands. That's what it means to store up treasures in heaven. So, I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. I'm gonna throw a slide up here for you. When it comes to what happens here on Sunday mornings, I just wanna share these with you for you to thoughtfully pray about them. These are the opportunities that we've got. If they don't show them up there for you, they're there. okay, okay, they're there. You can also hit that QR code on the back of the seat there in front of you and get the information there. There's more information. These are the more immediate needs that we have to help move Sunday mornings forward again to meet the needs of the people that we have all the way across the board. Hospitality as well. What is hospitality? Why do we do it? Because hospitality, that's a very Christian thing. Hospitality is an unspoken conversation. And essentially what it says is, we're so glad you're here. We were expecting you. We have something for you. We've got huge needs in our kids' ministry. By the grace of God, God is blessing uh, Illuminate with a lot of young families. And so I need to be quick to add that anybody who serves our kids gets a very thorough background check because the safety of our kids is of the utmost importance. Additionally, if you walk back here, you'll be back here in three months, you're gonna see all that, that backspace has been redesigned for our kids' ministry. And our first thought was, how can we make it as safe as possible? So that's what we designed it with, with that in mind. So I would ask you to prayerfully consider how God might move on your heart to uh, help us in these ways, help serve your brothers and sisters. Again, uh, like was said, it's not like you have to serve every single week, once a month, once every two months, just kind of get yourself started and uh, see how God blesses you. So when you think about storing up treasures in heaven, I would remind you again, Consider all that God released from his own hands toward you. Namely, Jesus. God absolutely gave you his best. It's like, what can I do to convince humanity that I really care? They have this issue that needs to be resolved because the justice of God, it just... It has to show up. God's nature will be revealed toward all the wrongs that we do, and that's a big problem for us. So that's why Jesus comes, to take all of our wrongs upon himself. And simple principle at play. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. So no one could ever say, well, God, if you would only prove it to me, if you would only do more. God's like, how about my son? I've told you guys many times before, I love you. 
probably not going to give the life of any one of my three kids for any of you. I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't do it for all of you. Why? I don't love you that much. Sorry. See the point though? God was willing to give his best. Why wouldn't you? So Father, I pray that you would speak to every heart in the room. And along with that, I'm just super grateful for all of those who ultimately they serve you by serving us. I'm grateful for the youth leaders that have served my kids. I'm grateful for all of those that have shown hospitality to my friends as I've invited them and they've come and they've experienced that blessing. I'm grateful for the worship teams that minister to my family. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak in a way that would be, as always, for our good, but ultimately for your glory. As you continue to shape us into these heavenly kingdom type of people. We pray it in the one whose name makes it all possible.